Happy Sabbath. Welcome to Rock. Glad you could join us, whether you're here in person or you're joining us online from Arizona or Alaska or wherever you're joining us from, whether you're joining us um, in the future or in the past, we're glad you could join us um, for worship this past Sabbath. Um, if you've been here with us for the better part of a month, this is week three of a series that we're currently in called Open-Handed. And the theme or the topic that we've been looking to discuss throughout this series is this idea of generosity, and hence the term open-handed. How can we live a life where we live, where we think, and we can act much more generously um, with those around us? And we started this series off by talking about, in kind of a weird way, the perks of being generous. And if you remember in part one, Pastor Chris kind of had this almost backwards approach to talking about generosity, where we discussed what's in it for you, why it's actually in your best interest, why it'll make your life better, why you have a benefit to your own personal life if you decide to live a life of generosity. And as a kind of the end of that uh, statement, what he talked about was this idea that really if you are a follower of Jesus and, and you're here and you profess yourself to be a Christian um, and you believe in these beliefs, then really you have to kind of acknowledge the fact that none of this, none of the things that you own is truly really your own. And we're going to talk about that a little bit today. Um, I realize that maybe some of you heard that statement um, in week one, and you're like, I don't know how I feel about that statement. I'm not convinced, right? I'm not convinced that the things that I own truly aren't my own. So if you feel that way, um, you're not alone. You're probably not alone. We're going to talk about that a little bit more um, in today's series and today's sermon as well. And last week, we spent some time looking at the unique Israelite festival known as the Year of Jubilee and how it was such a strange sort of rules and customs that God placed very strongly upon his people. Every 50 years, there's this leveling of the playing field. There's this year of jubilee where you can rejoice because the past mistakes that you've made are going to be undone and the things that were lost for you are going to be returned. And every seven years, um, there's this thing of the year of Sabbath where like debt gets erased and people are set free. And the reason for all of this, and, and the reason for all this is because God wanted his people to live in a life of generosity and to experience the generosity that he was making a part of their actual social structure of their lives, of the politics of the way that they lived this life of generosity. And the kind of side, uh, side effect of that was this tension that we talked about in the year of Jubilee, that at times um, being generous and being fair are often at odds with each other. And at times they can be mutually exclusive where you're so caught up and I need to be fair, that's not fair, that's not what they deserve, that that can keep you from being generous. And a part of accepting a life of generosity means that at times you have to, as we talked about, be open-handed and let go of the notion of needing everything to be fair and the way I see it as just and what people deserve because at its very core, generosity at times needs to ignore the idea of what's fair, what do people deserve? And the year of Jubilee was a way that where God built that into the culture and the system of the ancient Israelite people. And the kind of like ending statement of that, of last week's message was this idea that you are a recipient, you are a receiver of insane generosity. If you, if you believe in the Bible, if you follow Jesus and you claim to want to be like him, then you have to acknowledge the fact that you are a receiver of very generous generosity from God. And this week, as we previewed last week, um, we're, we're answering this question. And the question we're trying to answer um, as we wrap up this part of how we can think more generously, how we can live in a mindset of generosity, is this question of why do I have what I have? If you look, at, if you look in your life, the things that you possess, the life situation and circumstances that you're in, where you are in life, why do you have what you have? And if you think about it, it's kind of a... I don't know if you've ever sat down and thought about it. Most of us probably haven't. Um, but it's kind of an existential question, right? Like, why 
why do I have what I have? What is the purpose of my possessions and the reason I am where I am in life? Um, and actually, the question, I kind of want to tweak that question a little bit. And the real question that I kind of want to answer and to make it a little bit more existential and deeper is why, are, why have you been able to have what you have? Because I would argue that's a little bit of a deeper question. Because the question of why do I have what I have, at least at a surface level, is kind of an easy answer for a lot of us, right? The reason I have, for instance, let's take the reason you drive the car that you drive is because you have a job. And in your job, your boss or your clients give you money in exchange for a service that you provide. And with that money, you gave some of that money to someone else. In exchange, you got a car. And that's why you drive the car you have. And you can extrapolate that to your home, the clothes you wear, any good that you own. The reason you have what you have is, I paid for it. And honestly, at a service level, that's kind of true, right? The reason you drive the car that you have, the reason you're wearing the clothes that you wear to Sabbath is because you work or your parents work. And with the money that you've earned, you exchange that for what you have now. But I would argue a deeper question, really the real question we're trying to answer with this series on generosity is, why have you been able to have what you have? And that, I would argue, is a bit of a more complex question to answer. Why have I been able to be in the situation that I'm in now? Why have I been able to get that job, to make this money, to, to live the life that I live? It's not as shallow or as straightforward as, well, I worked, I worked hard for it. So, again, the question we're trying to answer this week um, is why have I been able to have what I have? What is the purpose of why I have what I have and where I am now? And how can that help me live a life and live in a mindset where I can think and live holistically in a more, general, uh, in a more generous sense? So, uh, we're going to start uh, with part three of our series with a word of prayer, and we'll go into the word for this week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, um, I thank you for this privilege of being able to share your word uh, today on the Sabbath, Father, I ask that as we sang um, earlier um, in this worship service, Lord, that weak become strong in the Savior's love, Father, and that as I speak, the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts of everyone in this room be pleasing to you. Father, hide me behind your cross, and Lord, um, I invite the Holy Spirit into this place, Lord, into our hearts, into our minds, soften hearts that need to be softened. Lord, help us to hear, give us eyes to see and ears to hear your word and your will in our lives. I praise in your Son, Jesus' name. Amen. So I've shared a little bit about my upbringing um, in the past through various other illustrations, but one thing you may or may not have heard about me um, in previous illustrations was that growing up um, in school, I figured out very early on that I, I hated math. I hated math, I hated science, um, which you know created a problem for me because my mom was always like, you need to be a doctor. And I'm like, have you seen my report card? That's crazy. Um, but I really hated math and science. And, as stereotypical as it may seem, I don't know if you've been told this growing up, but people will often say, oh, oh, if you're not a math and science guy, you'll probably be like a history and English kind of guy. And again, I'm not saying that's true. That's probably an over, you know, generalization. But I'm definitely like a history and English kind of guy. And growing up, I, I always kind of loved history. I love my history classes. I love the idea of history. Um, there was an era in my life where my grandfather lived with us. Uh, he came from Korea, and he stayed at a house for a couple of years. And every single night, um, without fail, every weekday night, he would watch this, these old Korean dramas. Um, and they weren't old Korean dramas in, like, when they were produced, but they were Korean dramas that took place in, like, ancient Korea, right, where people fought with swords and pitchforks and stuff, and, like, everyone wore, like, flowy, like, silk outfits. 
Um, and I grew up, like, watching a lot of those shows, and, like, I always thought it was super, super cool. And there was, this, like, one other Korean kid in my neighborhood, and both of our parents and grandparents would watch that show. And so we would hang out. We would, like, take the sticks off of, like, broom handles and, like, pretend they were swords and, like, fight each other and stuff. Um, so that was, like, a very fond memory I had growing up. And I was also very blessed um, in this, when I was going to school to have really, really good history teachers. All of my history teachers were very engaging, very intelligent. I don't know if you've ever been in a class where, like, I don't know, this teacher really knows what they're talking about, and so like, they kind of avoid questions and they don't want to go too deep. But all of the history teachers I've ever had were like, you could tell they, like, they loved what they were teaching about. And they had a really full and good understanding of the material. And because of that, um, all of my history classes were really, really fun. And I shared this before, but I'm, I'm not a huge like, musical guy. I haven't seen very many. I know some of us um, in this room are. But the one musical I really, really love um, is Hamilton. And the reason I love Hamilton so much is because I can distinctly remember learning about him my junior year um, in my U.S. history class. And I remember hearing about, like, there was this guy, and he was one of, like, the founding fathers, and he, like, fought in the Revolutionary War, and he, like, finessed, like, moving the U.S. capital to here and here so that he can create the financial system, and he, like, really helped shape, like, U.S., uh, like, the history of this country. And I remember taking notes and being like, whoa, like, when does this guy become president? That's crazy. Like, this guy definitely deserves to become president. And, like, obviously, you know, most of us don't even remember who, like, after the first and second president, like, no one remembers the next 10 until, like, Abraham Lincoln. So I was like, I'm sure he was somewhere in there. I'm sure I missed him. And then I remember hearing in class, and then he dies. He gets in a duel, and he's shot by the vice president of the United States. And I was like, what? That's crazy. What a crazy story. Like, they should totally make a movie about this dude. And they kind of did. And that's crazy. And I still remember, like, because of that, I, I fell in love that musical. But again, growing up, um, I, I just had so many fond memories um, and experiences with history and especially within the educational system. But I also had a lot of friends, and maybe some of you in this room can relate to this, that absolutely hated history. History classes, and they hated their teachers, they hated um, the, the class itself, and a lot of the critiques they had of it was like, I just feel like it's the dumbest thing ever. Why do I have to learn about things that already happened but people that have been dead for such a long time, it, it, it seems highly irrelevant. And I feel like a lot of the stuff that we learn in history class is like trivial information, like a fun fact. Oh, did you know this person lived from this to this and they did this? Wow, amazing. But largely the critique was, it seems very irrelevant in my life. Like why do I need to learn about European history? I've never even been to Europe, right? And a lot of the, the, the critiques that they had was, it doesn't seem very relevant for my life today. It's cool, it's interesting, sure, it's like a story of something that happened to someone a long time ago that's now dead, but I don't really see the relevance for it in my life today. But I would argue that the reason understanding history is so important, and I feel like a lot of us can agree to this line of thinking, is that as a concept, understanding events that have happened in our past give us a better perspective and understanding of our present circumstances. In other sense, understanding our past and what happened to us in the past, what happened to our family, to, to our people in the past, gives us a better understanding of how we got to where we are today and a greater appreciation of how we got here. I think a good example of this, um, and maybe a lot of us in this room can relate, if you grew up um, in an immigrant household, in an immigrant family, um, you know there are certain struggles and unique struggles and hardships that come with moving your family to a different country, with a different culture, with different cuisine, in a different language, and most of, if you move to a different country, you're going to have to find a new job. And it comes with a unique set of, of struggles, and I feel like if you grew up seeing your family, maybe your parents or your grandparents, go through that struggle, chances are seeing that lived out in your own family 
played a really big role in who you are today. There are certain priorities, certain values that were emphasized. And chances are, because of the way you're raised and because of that immigrant lifestyle of moving and adjusting to a new place and finding community and struggling to fit in and whatever comes with that, it probably shaped a lot of the major life decisions you made down the road. Um, and it largely shaped who you are today. You are where you are today um, if you understand how those things played an influence in your own life. And on top of that, I feel like it's just a really powerful experience to hear the story of your own family, of maybe your parents or grandparents, who made the sacrifice in the journey that they've made for you so that you could get to where you are today. And it gives you a better, it definitely gives you a better appreciation and an understanding of your own story, who you are, how you got to where you are, and why you have what you have. Um, and in a broader sense, um, another way you can see this play out is in the world of, of psychology. And if you ever go into therapy or counseling, one of the first things your counselor or therapist will ask you is, what are some defining moments in how you were raised in your childhood? Because chances are, your past, your own personal past, your history, the way you were raised, those impactful memories you had in your life that really stick out to you, probably played a big, a big role in shaping the person that you are today. So whether you love history or not, I think we can all agree with that, that concept, that idea of, yes, while other people's history and, you know, what happened in World War I and whatever may not seem relevant, but truly, at least for your own personal life story, understanding how you got to where you are plays a big role in helping you understand either where you're going or why you're here, and at least, at the very least, it helps you appreciate um, the position that you're in today. Um, and uh, yeah, how we would get to where we are today. And the concept, to tie that into what we've been talking about, again, the, the theme we've been talking about, the topic, is this idea of generosity, how we can live a little bit more generously. And again, the question we're specifically trying to answer in today's message is, why do I have what I have? Why have, been a why have I been able to have what I have? And what that tells me about what I'm supposed to do with my possessions and where I am in life. And again, I think that question is best answered by looking at our own past, looking at our own history. And if you look back to, okay, how did I get here? Okay, well, how did I get there? How did I get there? And if you go back far enough, we're going to save us all enough time and just go back to the very, very, very beginning where it all happens and where it all takes place. And where I want to take us um, to begin to add that biblical connection is to the very first chapter of the Bible. If you're unfamiliar with the Bible, um, Genesis is the first book of the Bible. And in the first two chapters of the Bible is, is the story of how everything was created, of how the world was created and how God played a role in creating, we, we call it the story of creation. And for those of you where it's been a while or maybe you're unfamiliar with the story or it's been a while since you've been in the children's ministry Sabbath school, we'll give you a quick spark notes of what happens in the six days of creation. On the first day, God creates light. The next day is a separation between the waters and the sky. The third day, he creates dry land out of the, out of the water. And on the dry land, there's vegetation, fruits, vegetables, plants, all that stuff. On the fourth day, he fills the sky with the sun, moon, and stars. The fifth day, you get sea animals. Sixth day, you get land animals. And at the end of the sixth day, famously, um, God kind of takes a break in how he's been creating things. Every, everything up until now has been he just vocalized things. Let there be, let there be, and there was. And at the end of the sixth day, he kind of takes a break from that pattern, and he very intimately, with his hands, creates Adam, or mankind, or humanity, the first human being to walk this earth. At the end of the sixth day, you see the, hum the first human ever created, and with that, Creation is essentially finished. And on the seventh day, God just reflects and takes a break, and he gave us a Sabbath. Um, so most of us are probably familiar with the sequence of events, or if, if, even if you didn't know the exact order of when it happened, you, if you grew up in the church, you know the, the story of creation. It takes place over six days. You know the first one is for sure light. There's a bunch of stuff in the middle. And for sure the last thing that God creates 
is, is a human. He creates Adam, and the way he creates him is a little bit different. And there are a couple um, different schools of thought when it comes to the significance of, of humanity and human beings being the last thing God created. Um, on one hand, there definitely is an aspect of like, yes, we are the cherry on top. Like humanity was the pinnacle of creation, and we're the only thing created in God's image. And even the way God creates humanity is a little bit different. Everything else seems a little more um, impersonal where he just speaks it. But with humanity, he gets down, he forms man out of the dirt, and he breathes into the man's nostril the breath of life. Like that's significant, right? That just shows, goes to show like how important we are in the story of creation. And we're also the only things made after God's own image. Like yes, the reason we're there is because, again, like that concept of best for last. Like we are the pinnacle of everything God created. And while I'm sure there's, there's some truth to that, I think at least for the purposes of our, our message and the theme we're talking about, generosity, I think there's a, another maybe overlooked, slightly overlooked definition or reason as to why it could be that humanity and mankind was the last thing God created in the creation story. Um, when you look at it, because humanity was the last thing God created, by the time Adam or Adam like came to and he was conscious and he was alive, everything was already done. The world was completed. Everything, there was nothing more to be created. God was done with the work. And in a sense, because of that, there was really no way for Adam or humanity to ever make the claim, like, yeah, I did this. Like, I created this. Because by the time he was done, to use Jesus' words, it was finished. The completed product was then handed to Adam and say, hey, I made this for you. I made the animals, the trees, the separation of, you're going to learn all this later, but I made all of this, and I'm giving this as a gift to you. And because Adam was created at the very end of creation, there was no way that he could rationalize any sort of ownership over all of this because he literally did not exist. Humanity had no part in any of creation. They weren't part of the brainstorming process. They didn't do any of the heavy lifting of creating the mountains or the rivers. All of it in its completed form was handed to Adam on a silver platter. And God says, hey, I made this, but I want to enjoy this with you. And I'm going to spend a little bit of time, if you look on Genesis chapter 1, verse 28 to 30, um, I'm just going to read essentially the first words that God tells Adam after Adam has been created. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it, reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Then God said, Look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food, and I have given every green plant as food for all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, and the small animals that scurry along the ground, everything that has life. And that is what happened. These are the first words that God gives to Adam, and first words he gives to humanity as he comes to existence. And there are, this is essentially ground zero for the relationship between God and humanity. He says, hey, welcome to existence. This is, this is how I want to start the relationship off. I have given you all these things, right? The, the words that God uses, again, to emphasize the two main parts in this is, I've given humanity, these animals, all these things to enjoy, right? You did not create any of this. I made it but I'm going to give this to you. I want you to enjoy it. Again, re-emphasizing what we talked about earlier. I made this, but I'm going to give this to you so that you can enjoy this as well with me. This is a gift that I am bestowing upon you. I did all the work, but I do want you to enjoy this as well. There is definitely that sense in the language that God uses. I have given you these things. And the second thing I think is much more interesting, and it's found in the essentially the first recorded words that God gives to Adam. God starts, the first word God says is, be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. 
Um, and while on the surface, it simply means, it, it kind of just sounds like God is saying, all right, now start a family. All right, start a family. There's only two of you. Let's, let's make more, right? Um, and while it can just seem like that, I think there's a more significant, deeper truth to what God was actually conveying to Adam. Again, these are the first words that God is choosing to tell this person that he just created. Be fruitful and multiply. And I think what God is trying to share with Adam is this concept that, hey, I have given you a very, very generous gift, right? Look around. This is all yours. And now I want you to take what I've given you and share it with others. Be fruitful. Multiply. Don't, yes, this is yours. I'm, I'm letting you have this, have ownership of this. But I want you to share this with others. Don't keep this generous gift to yourself. Be fruitful. Multiply. Share this with your offspring, with, with Eve and everyone else. I don't want you to keep this to yourself. And this is essentially the first command, the first imperative statement that God gives humanity is, is basically that it should grow and it should share the goodness that God has generously provided for them. Again, I think those two truths are very stressed in that first statement that God chooses to say. A, I made this. You didn't make this. I made this. But I'm giving this to you. And B, now that I've given this generous gift to you, I want you to share this with others. I don't want you to just keep it to yourself um, and so that there's more for yourself. I want you to grow and multiply and share this gift and this experience and the fruits and the labors with those around you. I think those are the two main concepts that are reflected in the first thing that God tells to humanity after it's been created. Um, and in a sense, um, it's not only a reflection of God's generous character. I think it is, and I think it reflects that how strongly God emphasizes through his own character and his actions the importance of being generous and sharing. But I think it also reflects a little bit of what God's purpose for humanity is. The main mission, the first command, the first thing that God tells humanity to do is that we are created to give and to share this gift that he's bestowed upon us. And I understand that this concept of God telling Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply, it's usually talked in the context of like companionship and fellowship and, you know, to combat loneliness. And while I do think there's a lot of truth to that in the reason God created Eve and all, but I do think there is a deeper meaning to just, you know, start a family. Because by definition, when God tells them to be fruitful and to multiply and to grow, as we talked about in the series, this concept of open-handedness, he's telling Adam, don't hold on to this. This isn't just yours. This whole awesome thing, this paradise that I've created for you, I don't want you to keep it to yourself. You have to let go of it, right? And by creating more and multiplying, by definition, he gives up part ownership of this garden, and he shares it with those around him, with his offspring, with essentially all of humanity. And that is essentially the, almost like the mission what God gives to humanity when it first starts. Which again, um, it doesn't make sense when you acknowledge, oh, so you can't ignore the fact that in telling Adam and Eve to grow humanity by definition, they have to give up some things of themselves, things that they once owned to give to others, and to let go of the notion that this was theirs and theirs alone. And so from the very beginning, we see God instilling this idea of living a generous life, of giving good things, but the reason I'm giving you these good things is that you can share that with others. And if you follow along the story of humanity and you skip forward about 12 chapters into the future, right? Genesis chapter 12, you see God, you see you're introduced to a man named Abram, or Abraham, as he's later called. And this, this character, this family that God selects, he calls Abraham and says, I want you to leave your family. Leave your hometown, leave what you're comfortable with, leave your extended family, and go somewhere else. And this is what he says in Genesis chapter 12. The reason I want you to go to a foreign land, the reason I want you to go somewhere else and leave your current surroundings and be a little uncomfortable is, Genesis 12, chapter 2, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. 
all the families on earth will be blessed through you. And again, we see a very similar mission and purpose in the story of Abraham that we saw back in the Garden of Eden, where God says, hey, I'm choosing you, and I'm going to bless you immensely. And if you follow the story of Abraham, through any biblical or worldly measures, this man was blessed. He was very, very blessed. He was very wealthy. You see God intervene in his life and pull him out of difficult situations. He definitely had God's blessing, protection, and, and, and providence all over his life from beginning to end. And the reason God says, I'm going to do that for him, he says, I'm going to bless you immensely. But the reason I am blessing you is in the hopes that through blessing you, I will bless others around you. And that you will take the blessings that I've given to you and share that with those around you. But when you read his story up until his death, um, he dies and his children continue on his story throughout the book of Genesis. And you were to ask yourself the question, were all the families on earth blessed through Abraham? You would most likely answer no. Nah, not really, right? He dies, and Abraham dies, and his wife is buried, and his children carry on the story, and a lot of suspicious things happen down the road. Um, but you, I don't think you could really say, like, yeah, Abraham blessed everyone um, through his blessing from God. You couldn't really answer that question. And as you continue on the story of the Bible, like, you're like, is this family blessing the world? Like, kind of, sort of, not really. And you fast forward about, you know, several, several centuries, and you're introduced to a man named Jesus, who just so happens to be the great, 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 great grandson of Abraham, somehow related um, to Abraham through that same lineage. And he's introduced to the uh, pages of the Bible as a human who makes some pretty bold claims about his own life. And he claims that he is God and that God is in him and that he's here to proclaim that the kingdom of heaven is here and he's come to seek and to save the lost. And very quickly, he gains a huge following and people love his teachings and the way he lives his life. And as he's doing his thing and preaching his message and performing crazy miraculous things, he does all of this while living a life of extreme, extreme generosity. Jesus literally didn't own anything, just the clothes on his back and the shoes on his feet. And his ministry was sustained through the generosity of others. Because he didn't own anything and everything he had, he gave away, whether his time, his emotions, his, his performing of miracles and his teachings. He gave all of that away. And he was largely only sustained through the generosity of others. Other people housed him and his disciples, fed him, financially supported him. Somehow, in one way, shape, or another, he lived through the generosity of others. And in turn, everything he had, he gave to those around him. Again, he had no personal possessions. And at one point in his own ministry, he turns to his followers and he tells them that if you truly believe that I am who I say I am and that I am from my ancestors, that I am who I am, I've come from this line and all the claims that I'm saying about myself is true. If you truly believe that I am telling the truth and all these claims and all my teachings, then in the same way that I've been generous to you and that I've given myself to you and I've loved you and I've shared my entire being with you, I am asking that you're generous with others in the same way. In the same way that I've given myself to you and shared my entire life, my entire human existence with you, I'm asking that you share those in the same way with those around you. And I would argue that same challenge rings true for us today because when Jesus tells that to his disciples, they don't truly understand what he means until he dies. He dies for them and he says, hey, everything I've come onto this earth for, I'm giving up for you. My very own life. I die for you. And he carries on that same story, that same command that God gives Adam and Eve, be fruitful, multiply, share, the same promise he gives to Abraham, I'm going to bless you, but I'm blessing you in the hopes that you bless others. He carries that out and he fulfills that on the cross through Jesus, who follows in that same story. And he says, I'm a fulfillment of that generosity, that I have been blessed. And in my blessing, I'm blessing you 
through the death of my own life, through the sacrifice and the giving away of who I am, everything I've done on this earth, every, every aspect of my ministry, I've given for you, including my very own life. And now, if you truly believe I am who I say I am, I want you to do the same for those around you. And in a sense, is that not like, as he preaches about this kingdom of heaven, is that not a core aspect of what we think of? When we think of truly the kingdom of heaven is people just giving and loving others and placing others before themselves and generously sharing themselves with others, but never being burned out because everyone is doing the same. And I think this, this, the challenge that Jesus gives, um, you know, 1,000, 2,000 years ago rings the same and true for us today as followers of Jesus, that essentially at a core the core purpose, a core value of, of humanity's existence is that we are created to share and bless others through the blessing received. And so to answer that question that we've talked about, if you look at the Bible and you go back far enough to how did I get here, but how did they get there, how did this all begin, the answer to why do I have what I have, why have I been able to have what I have, the biblical answer, the answer that Jesus gives us in, our, in the Christian view, the historical answer, is you have been given what you've been given so that you can bless others. The reason you have your possessions, the reason you're able to be where you are is so that God has blessed you so that you can bless those around you. That is why what you, you have what you have. And to tie those three concepts we talked about, A, nothing, if you truly believe in Jesus and you believe the truth of Scripture, nothing you have is truly yours because this was all a generous gift bestowed upon you. You didn't earn it, as to quote the, the famous song, we couldn't earn it, we couldn't deserve it, but still God gave himself away. God gave his creation to you. He says, this, is, this was mine. I created it, but this is now yours. You did nothing to do this, but I want to give this to you. And two, we are the receivers of insane generosity. Through every aspect of the Bible, God is generous in so many different ways. And three, the reason you have been a receiver of such generous generosity, of so many blessings, and I think for any one of us in this room, if you just, the simple exercise of sitting down and thinking about all the blessings God has given us in our own lives, despite where we may currently be, I think most of us would come to the conclusion, I've been pretty blessed by God. Just looking around at your family and your life, I think it's, you, have to, you might have to be a little intentional about it, but I think at the end of that, at any sort of exercise like that, we would all leave thinking, wow, I truly have been so blessed by God. And God says, the reason I have blessed you the reason you have what you have, the reason you have the possessions that you have, the reason you have the gifts and the abilities that you have is that I gave those to you so that you could bless those around you. That is my purpose and my mission for you, to live a life of generosity. And honestly, if you truly believe those three facts, that nothing you really own is truly yours, that you have been a receiver of insane generosity, and lastly, that as a follower of Jesus, I have been given these blessings that I can bless others, how could that not naturally lead to a life where you are more generous in your generosity? And that's kind of the challenge I want to, and it's kind of a weird, like, you know, double like, repetition, but really, I truly think if those, three, if those three facts were in your soul, you truly believed those three things. None of this is really mine. This has all been a gift and a blessing from God. I've been truly blessed by God, and he's been so, so good and generous to me. And the reason he's been so generous to me is so that I can be generous to others. How can that not make you be more generous in your own generosity? To give more, not just financially, but through your energy and your time and, and living a life where others come before you. At the very core, we sing this song so much in church. Uh, we sing this three weeks ago at our FNL sing-along. It's your breath in our lungs. Right, The first line of the chorus of Great Are You, Lord. And we sing that all the time. And as Christians... 
That's part of the generosity. We truly believe our very own existence, our very own life, the fact that we're here today is a generous gift from God. It's God's breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise to him. And an extension of that, God calls us, then I want you to live for others and be more generous. That's why you have what you have. If you've ever wondered, why am I in the position? Why do I have what I have? God's answer to that is, so that you can bless others and that you can be more generous in your own generosity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, um, I just want to thank you for um, this truth that you've given to us, Lord, and the fact that you are who you say you are. And at the very core of your own character is a God that is so generous to us, Lord, that our very own existence, that the pages of history were introduced to you as a God that gives us a gift. That's the first thing you do for us, God. You give us this gift of creation, this garden of pleasure where everything is perfect just because you want to share it with us. And you want us to share with those around you, Lord. Um, But I understand that for a lot of us, myself included, this challenge of being more generous and truly understanding these truths is probably um, easier said than done. It's easier to say, I want to be more generous. I'm going to be more generous. But it's harder to live our lives as if those truths were actually real, Lord. So, Father, I ask that you give us the strength, the humility, the truth, the wisdom in our lives to realize that it's truly in our best interest to live a life of generosity, to remind us on a daily basis, Father Lord, and forgive us when we forget that this truly has all been one giant generous gift from you to us, Father. And the reason you've given us this gift, the reason you've given us our talents, our money, our possessions, our our place where we are in life is so that we can share and continue on in sharing that blessing with those around us, Father. And that in doing that, we experience your kingdom here on earth. We thank you for who you are and what you've done. I praise in your son Jesus' name.